Welcome to Bank Talk with the Institute of International Bankers, where we talk with and about the foreign banking community in the United States. Thank you so much for joining us, and please be sure to subscribe so you never miss a beat with the IIB. Hi, I'm Bridget Policine, CEO of the IIB, and we're really pleased to have Jared Sawyer join us virtually for the IIB Bankcast today. Welcome, Jared. So Jared's a principal at Rich Fuhrer Anderson, a Washington, D.C. consulting and lobbying firm that quite ably represents the IIB. Uh, prior to joining our was the deputy for financial institutions policy at the Treasury Department, where among other important responsibilities, he played a leadership role on the Treasury's 2017 executive order reports. And before Treasury, Jared served in senior roles on the Senate Banking Committee and House Financial Services Committee. And before that, Jared was a vice president in state government relations at Citigroup. And Jared, that's where you and I first met. It seems like just yesterday, Bridget. So you have completed the Washington, I guess it's not a trifecta, I guess it's a what, superfecta, Um, working at a global company, Capitol Hill, the executive branch, and now a lobbying firm with the bonus of experiencing two crises, the 2008 financial crisis and now a global pandemic. I'm not sure if that's congratulations or in order, um, but your experience across DC um, and through the financial crisis gives you a really good perspective for thinking about the Fed, Treasury and congressional response to this crisis. So thinking about that and turning to the CARES Act, I'm interested in your thoughts about how it came together so quickly and how Congress and Treasury decided what sectors of the economy and groups would be targets for the first round of relief. Yes, certainly, Bridget. Um, and again, glad to be here. Um, you know, I think comparing the two, these are two very different crises, the 2008 financial crisis and really the health emergency that we're facing today that is having significant spillover uh, effects into our economic sector. So, you know, as I think about it, in 2008, banks in many ways were viewed by policymakers as the problem. They were facing liquidity issues, insolvency issues, and um, certainly some criticism around uh, their approach and treatment of consumers, particularly in the mortgage market. In this crisis, It's a crisis affecting the entire economy. Businesses small to large um, in every sector uh, are facing significant um, economic disruption, business interruption, uh, and, um, you know, face liquidity challenges. What we have here today is the banks, um, very different than 2008, the banks are being asked to be part of the solution. So the banking system right now, uh, when you talk to policymakers, but the data just shows this, the banks are very healthy. They have strong capital and liquidity positions and uh, in a much better spot than they were in 2008. And as you look through all the programs that we'll, I'm sure, get into today, the banks are being asked to be the the lending conduits, uh, serving as the middleman between the government 
and its assistance that it wants to get out to individuals and businesses. And they're, they're being asked to be those conduits because they are in a healthy position heading into this crisis. Um, you know, as I compare 2008 to, to what we have here today, um, I think many could look back on 2008 and see little bubbles of financial disruption and, and breaks in our financial system heading into ultimately um, kind of a, a very severe uh, disruption um, and freeze of our financial plumbing in 2008. Here we had a very quick moving, uh, contagious and fast spreading virus uh, that was a health emergency that the way you uh, confront it required basically freezing or shutting down large portions of the economy. And as a result, Congress needed to act very quickly. Um, it needed to act very quickly to provide you know, significant liquidity and financial support uh, to businesses of all shapes and sizes, um, really with, without an understanding of how long this could go. And so the CARES Act in many ways uh, was pulled together in, in record time. Um, it certainly, from a size standpoint, set um, financial assistance, fiscal assistance records, and uh, was done so in a, in a very bipartisan basis. And I think that just demonstrates the seriousness uh, with which um, we are faced today and how uh, widespread the, uh, the concern uh, from policymakers is. That's great, Jared. Thanks. Um, and I, you know, speaking for the IIB and all of our members, you're absolutely right. Uh, we're ready to help. IIB members want to help their customers, help the markets, help the communities they serve by participating fully and equally in these programs. So one of the you know, signature programs is the SBA Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. So, you know, really remarkable that a program of that size was, you know, set up in a week. You've been in the executive branch. You have some sense of what it takes to unroll, unveil um, a program of that magnitude. So, you know, what, what's your one, I guess it's been one week, one week out, um, curious kind of, you know, what's the grade, the good, the bad, the ugly, and you think Congress will in fact be able to get more money into that program? Sure. Well, first, I want to applaud some of my former colleagues who I know have had a lot of sleepless nights over the last couple of weeks trying to get these programs put together. And just to kind of provide some perspective on the magnitude that, that you talked about, Bridget, um, SBA handled roughly two or roughly $20 billion of lending in its 7A program last year alone. In the first week of the program, the PPP program being up and running, uh, some estimates point to over $250 billion in loan applications already being submitted. So 10 times that annual amount in just over a week. Um, also, you know, the program has now accepted uh, hundreds of new lenders, both depositories and non-banks who had never been part of the SBA program before and were asked, asked to be these conduits 
kind of going forward. So it's a really a tremendous undertaking to stand a program up uh, in, in just a week. I will say, and I think we've seen this in, in a number of press accounts and through our conversations with uh, the administration and Capitol Hill, it certainly had its challenges. Um, not only did Treasury and the SBA need to work together to put out very clear guidance on how this money was going to be lent out to small businesses, it also had to build and reinforce existing technology platforms that, as I mentioned, were only built to handle $20 billion a year in uh, loan volume and were being asked to do $350 billion uh, in a matter of weeks. And so it has had you know, some technology uh, capacity issues that I think will get worked out long-term. It's had some guidance challenges particularly around the speed at which guidance is coming out. I think those will be addressed in the coming days. And I think, you know, as we sit here, maybe this time next week, next Friday, and hopefully we will have a new uh, uh, allocation of funding from Congress. Um, I think the program will be well on its way to serving borrowers um, and ensuring that those small businesses have the, the liquidity it needs to, to keep these workers on their payroll. Um, you know, you asked about what are the odds kind of in Congress right now for um, replenishing the PPP fund? I think it, it speaks to the demand that the administration went to Congress so quickly after the CARES Act passed and asked for a new allocation of funding. Really, the way I've thought about it, it's, it's almost a stopgap to get you from the time the CARES Act passed to when maybe we'll see a CARES Act 2.0. So that $250 billion hopefully will be a bridge to get you to the next legislative vehicle. I think that speaks to the demand yeah. that's out there. So, and we'll talk later about, you know, CARES Act 2, both likelihood, uh, content, but I, I agree on the, the PPP. I mean, you know, as an aside, the guidance has been not that clear getting better. And I think we really um, have been impressed with how responsive um, the, you know, Treasury and SBA have been as questions come up, trying to answer them, you know, just informally, formally, uh, the, the challenge is just really, you know, you, you um, gave some statistics to help put this in perspective. On the lender side and the borrower side, I mean, these are all new borrowers coming into this program, people that aren't used to working through the SBA. And so it really is uh, pretty incredible how quickly and effectively this program has gotten up given everything. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to commend uh, our federal financial regulators too. You know, they they examine and supervise these institutions who are lending in these programs for, for safety and soundness reasons. And as a result, many lending institutions are, are conservative by nature. And, you know, speed uh, delivery of funds, um, particularly uh, at, the, at the pace they are being asked to, to, to make these loans is not something that they're necessarily used to. And I think the regulators have, have tried to do a really good job over the last couple of weeks of internalizing pain points that have been identified and fixing them mm -hmm. so that these institutions can 
meet that speed demand uh, and and get these loans dispersed. Certainly not been perfect, uh, but I think it will continue to get better. Yes. Uh, speaking of, you know, financial regulators acting quickly, and the Fed has been acting with breakneck speed, rolling out, uh, you know, we're, we're re-upping some of the 2008 facilities, creating new facilities. Just yesterday, we saw the um, Main Street lending facility kind of first get stood up. Um, all sorts of measures to support markets, consumers, corporations. And, you know, you noted this is different from 2008. It's also different from some of the other kind of um, uh, emergency actions that have had to happen because it's global. Um, it's not, you know, it's, the, it's not just the whole country, it's the whole world. So they've essentially, you know, condensed 18 months of financial crisis action into what, you know, 20 days of pandemic response and even more than that because of all these new programs. Um, what's, what's your assessment of, you know, the Fed's facilities and how they've um, worked with the Treasury, with Congress and getting all this and industry, you know, with the banks and getting all this out there. Yeah, so it's really been breathtaking uh, to watch the speed and aggressiveness with which the Fed has acted. You know, you mentioned that most of this activity has occurred only in the last 20 days. I think, you know, the Federal Reserve has had somewhat of the benefit of learning and going through some muscle memory from 2008 with respect to a few of the facilities, like the term ABS loan facility and some of the commercial paper facilities. Um, so it has enabled them to get out of the gate quickly. But without question, the aggressiveness we've seen from the Federal Reserve um, has been welcomed and, and certainly needed. I think they are uh, being asked to do um, and reach into the economy unlike ever before and do so at levels uh, that many never would have uh, imagined. And, you know, I, I kind of take a step back and think about some of uh, the folks who, uh, you know, criticize some of the Federal Reserve actions in 2008. Um, many of them right now are, are silent uh, with the expansive nature of the, many of the Fed's tools. And I think that speaks to the seriousness of the economic disruption we're facing and the need for that stabilization that perhaps only the Federal Reserve can can provide. So we look down the listing, there's already over 10 different facilities yeah. that have been announced in, in, in 20 days. Um, some of them are being stood up under, you know, unilateral Federal Reserve actions. And some are being done uh, with additional money that Congress provided to Treasury's Exchange Stabilization Fund to really plus up and amplify those Federal Reserve facilities to touch the corporate credit market, um, to touch some of the repo uh, you know, considerations that foreign governments and foreign institutions have. Uh, just yesterday, announcements around municipal uh, municipal securities and, and liquidity there, um, term ABS. So really covering the full uh, spectrum of markets that 
need some assistance because of the economic disruption. So, you know, I grade the, the Fed uh, very high um, and uh, the scale at these these programs are uh, being rolled out is is very significant. Without question, we'll need additional guidance um, as you look through many of these term sheets uh, to understand exactly who will be able to participate, what the scope of these facilities will will really look like. But um, to imagine 10 different facilities totaling several trillion dollars coming together in, in 20 days is, is pretty astonishing. Yeah, it really is phenomenal. And I'll put a plug in for uh, the IIB has a, a COVID-19 webpage where we are keeping uh, cataloging, you know, all the programs and regulatory uh, actions that have taken place around COVID-19. And I can assure you, it is hard to keep up. I mean, it is phenomenal. But Yeah, and Bridget, on, on, on just much like the PPP program, um, and, and the shout out to the federal financial regulators, um, the Federal Reserve has obviously acted very quickly as it relates to many of these facilities. But on the regulatory front, it's also been very busy in um, allowing financial institutions to tap into their capital and liquidity buffers in support of these businesses and their customers. And so I think the Fed has you know, many levers those levers that help stabilize markets and those levers that keep the banking system safe and sound, but also allow them to pull those levers to enable the banking system to play a major part in an economic uh, stabilization. So, you know, that's a good segue uh, into another topic that I wanted to discuss with you. And you're in a really, um, you know, good position to have this conversation because of, you know, having been on the Hill. So what I'm curious is, you know, right now it's all hands on deck and you just noted that the Fed is, um, you know, relieving some regulatory requirements, um, using some of their supervisory, if you will, levers to remove impediments to banks being able to participate in these facilities, you know, get liquidity into the market. And that's really the focus right now, you know, criticism. It's really been praise, not much criticism, but having lived through the financial crisis, uh, you too remember that with the luxury of hindsight, you know, three, six, 12, 18 months from now, uh, Will there be, or I guess it's not even a question, I'm sure there will be some criticism about these facilities. Did the Fed exact a high price? Were they, you know, too lenient? And especially given that it's going to be a a presidential election year, you know, I'm curious, like, how much do you think the Fed and, and even Treasury kind of think about that, um, how do you think that will kind of play out uh, over time? Yeah, so I I think it's always fair to assume that there's going to be scrutiny and, you know, some Monday morning quarterbacking 
later on once you get you know several months or years removed from this crisis and i think that's healthy because it helps us refine our response to future events i think as as i talk to folks in and around the administration and on capitol hill their number one focus right now is response and responding aggressively and doing the best they can with the information they have right now. And they know that there's going to be criticism and second guessing down the road, but they're focused on the moment and the need for um, action and the need for speed, really. And so I think that's that has freed them to be aggressive and fast moving in their response. Uh, both. I think you see that both at the Federal Reserve and Treasury, but also on Capitol mm-hmm. Hill. I mean, it is astonishing to to see the numbers, uh, the financial numbers you uh, have seen thrown around with regards to financial assistance. Um, you know, in the in the first CARES Act, but potentially in a second package. I mean, truly staggering numbers that uh, would have required months and months of debating uh, across you know ideological lines. Uh, passing, you know, with unanimous consent. And I think that just speaks to the magnitude of the situation we're faced. But, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of lessons learned um, and there will be time for that. But I think they're very focused right now on on the moment in the current crisis. So, you know, thinking about that, and you mentioned earlier about how um, having the banks, the financial system in such a strong position going into this crisis where they really could serve as the vehicles to deploy this relief. Um, While you were at Treasury, you know, I I mentioned that you played a a big role in all the different executive order reports and the regulatory recommendations in those reports were really focused on sort of, okay, you know, 10 years out from Dodd-Frank, let's take a comprehensive look across all the different types of financial um, services players, the various sectors and, and markets and say, you know, what, where can we refine? I mean, you know, tailor, right? Finding that, that right balance between uh, regulatory, reducing the regulatory burden, better targeting the regulation, but still making sure that, you know, the financial services industry was safe and sound. So, and and some of those recommendations were executed upon by the regulators since, you know, 2017 to date. Some were, you know, are still sort of in process or, um, being considered. Do you think the crisis is changing views um, uh, about where that kind of sweet spot is? Do you think it will make regulators more cautious about um, uh, revising or, or easing some of the regulations? Yeah, it's it's a great question, Bridget. I think you know, as I think back to the time when we were putting together these reports and really our approach in the administration's approach to examining much of the financial regulatory framework, we felt like it was it was time, you know, 
roughly 10 years removed from the last crisis and in, in the passage of Dodd-Frank to do a deep dive analysis on what was working and what was not and where refinements were needed. And as you look across the reports, which covered the entire financial ecosystem, the administration called for the removal of very few regulations. The approach was really about refinement, tailoring, and balancing the regulatory framework, because I think there was a recognition that many of the post-crisis reforms were appropriate and maintained really strong and sound banking principles like having sufficient capital and liquidity. I think the administration just felt like some of those regulations just needed further refinement and, um, and rebalancing, if you will. And I think that's played out uh, you know, in this crisis and how the banks have been positioned uh, and, and held true fairly well. I think the banks have very strong capital and liquidity positions, and that is a direct result of a lot of the work uh, folks on both sides of the aisle put in post-2008. Um, I think as you think how lawmakers will approach these issues going forward, I think they're very pleased that the banking system can be that conduit right now and is in a good spot to be the, the vehicle of assistance. And so I don't see the um, this administration or future administrations and their regulators uh, diverging from high capital and liquidity levels uh, very much because those are in positions and, and um, there to allow banks to step in and step in in a healthy way in situations like we face today. But I do think that there will be um, opportunities going forward to continue to refine and adjust uh, all of these regulations, because I think that's that's healthy policymaking. And I think um, that's certainly what um, we thought about when I was at the Treasury Department. And I think that's what they're still thinking about is, you know, there's always room for improvement and there's always room for lessons learned. Uh, but, you know, very strong and sound banking principles around capital and liquidity um, are definitely needed. And I think that will uh, that will stay in place going forward. So now I'm going to ask you to put on your political pundit hat, right? I guess your political pundit mask. Um, <laughs> there's an election coming up or at least one scheduled for November. So. How, I mean, this is just sort of, you know, an unbelievable, like, unprecedented, right? The um, conventions, whether and how they'll be held up in the air, Democrat primaries over, you know, Joe Biden's going to be, well, at least right now, it would appear that Joe Biden is going to be the um, Democratic candidate. How are election year politics playing into the congressional and, and administration response? And then I'm also curious, you know, you have your um, state government relations background. We don't talk much about the states, um, but how do you think this plays out in the states, especially those where, um, you know, there's going to be a... a the governor gubernatorial contest in uh, in November. Yeah, so it's that's a great question because I think it's um, front of mind for for many and will um, start to uh, trickle into the thinking more and more 
uh, as you get closer to November. I think, you know, when we were right in the middle of facing the beginning of this health emergency in March, I think election year politics largely were set aside. And I think that's what was what enabled the CARES Act to move as quickly as it did. Now, certainly there was some partisanship that played out in the negotiations, but by and large, getting a package that size across the finish line, there had to be a lot of politics on both sides set aside um, because it was needed for a, a quick response. I think the further this health crisis and this economic disruption moves towards November, I think you will begin to see election year politics um, come into play more and more. Um, hopefully we um, are headed to headed on a trajectory where the health situation uh, is under control and is lessening and we are in a position to um, reopen the economy and um, have hopefully stabilized many of these businesses. But there will still be assistance both on the health and economic side needed and there will still be what we call in in dc packages uh legislative mm -hmm. packages that will be needed to address those discrete areas of assistance and like we also uh, commonly say in dc many folks don't like to let a crisis go to waste when it comes yeah. to uh policy measures mm -hmm. and so there will be um, I think legislative uh, and political battles that will be played out in future, um, you know, future assistance packages where uh, both sides will see it as an opportunity to attach uh, more politically charged um, policy items uh, to those packages because it is a legislative vehicle that is moving uh, towards a signed law. And so it's a long way of saying as I think as we get closer to November, those political considerations will um, undoubtedly uh, become more of a factor in um, our nation's kind of response. Um, that's kind of what's happening in DC. I think, you know, your questions about how this is affecting the states is, is a good one. Um, there's been a lot of discussion around how the federal government is coordinating with state governors um, as it relates to the health emergency. I think there will need to be a lot of conversations going forward about how the federal government is assisting or not assisting states um, as it relates to economic considerations. I think this health emergency is placing a tremendous strain on many states, particularly those hardest hit. And I think there will be a lot of discussions of what's the appropriate policy response. Many of these states will naturally have their um, you know, their, their economic financial buffers depleted and uh, there will need to be a way forward for these states to kind of right size and try to return to a, a normal financial condition. Yeah, when you think about, you know, states like sales tax revenues decreased, delay in receipt of income tax and states don't have the luxury of deficit financing, you know, they, for, I guess for most of them, the one good thing is the budget year is sort of over, but they are the budget cycle, but, you know, they have to balance their budgets and that's really um, 
well, we know, you know, the Fed yesterday came out with a, a facility focused on uh, municipal relief. But I agree with you that Congress is going to have to do more in that regard. And as, as hard as it might be for them to do it, they're going to have to do it in a, you know, uh, not red, blue state way, but where the need is, address it. Yes, agreed. So, well, thank you for taking the time to be with us today and, and for all the sage advice you give us. Uh, stay safe, and we look forward to returning to a more normal work life where we can have these discussions in person instead of um, only over the phone. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to join uh, you all today and uh, you stay safe as well. And we will uh, look forward to getting back to normal soon. Thank you again for joining us for Bank Talk with the Institute of International Bankers. We hope you enjoyed and we hope to see you again soon for the next episode.